biohacking. It's a term that's gained popularity in recent years, but what exactly is it? If you Google the definition of biohacking, you come up with the activity of exploiting genetic material experimentally without regard to accepted ethical standards or for criminal purposes. Pretty scary, right? However, in my own research into biohacking and the people who are part of this movement, I've found a group of individuals who apply the ingenuity and creativity of the computer hacker culture to managing our biology. It's about interacting with ourselves as objects of experimentation and exploration. It's about managing our biology in all sorts of ways. So you may wonder, is going on a diet to lose weight or working out at the gym biohacking? In a way, yes, but you're missing something critically important. Because biohacking arose from the desire to improve the way our bodies function In that sense, dieting and working out is a biohack. But what's key in separating biohacking from everyday lifestyle improvements is a systems thinking approach to modifying our mind and body. It's applying the ingenuity and creativity of hacker culture to our own bodies to become the absolute best versions of ourselves. That's why I'm very excited to introduce today's guest to you. His name is Dave Asprey. And while he may not have come up with the term biohacking, he certainly popularized it more than any other person out there. And Dave's been a guest on the show before. He was here discussing his Bulletproof Diet book that came out in late 2014. But a lot has happened since then, and he's here to discuss what he's up to now and also to give us a biohacking 101 so we can start to understand this methodology, this approach to improving our lives that goes way beyond just the everyday fitness, nutrition, and psychological tools that we use. So without further ado, I give you the interview with biohacker Dave Asprey. Dave Asprey, welcome back to the show. Hey, Ted. Happy to be on again. Yeah, and you've been such a busy guy. I've been keeping track of you. You've opened up a coffee shop in California. You've just come out with a cookbook. You've done a documentary called Moldy about the negative health effects of mold. And you just had the Bulletproof Biohacking Conference, and you had Brendan Bircher, keynote man, who's one of my... I haven't met him, but I consider him a mentor in helping me get my message out. He's an amazing guy. When you meet him in person, like he's genuinely all about helping. And you know, the number of times I've been able to sit down and, and have a meal with him, uh, just one-on-one or in a small group, and he's, he helps everyone all the time. It doesn't matter, a guy at the sandwich shop, some other big speaker, it doesn't really matter. Like he's, he's all about like, how can I give more? And he, that's not just marketing for him. And when, when you live with that mindset, I, I try to surround myself with people like that. And it, it's infectious and it really does make a difference. Yeah. And that's so good to hear because you see him on his videos and I've read his book, Millionaire Messenger, fantastic stuff. So it's good to hear from someone who's sat down with him a few times and to hear that that is exactly how he is in person. Very cool. 
Yeah, he's actually as high energy as he is on stage. You see him on stage just like <laughs> bouncing around. There's, there's like high energy music and you're like, this guy's going to like vibrate off the stage, but he's just like that. And he, yeah, he's a very unique human being and has helped like tens of thousands of people. So I have a lot of admiration for him. Yeah, and, and that's awesome. And Dave, I've asked you to be back on to give us a biohacking 101 because it's something that it's a term that's just kind of blowing up and I really enjoy that term. I think it's a different approach to health or to performance than what I've been exposed to in just with my fitness studies. But before we get to that, you and I were talking about negative people and being away from negative people. In fact, there's some research that basically says that it's more important to cut negative people out of your life than to try to add positive people into your life. And you had something you want to say on that. Do you want to riff on that for a little bit? Well, it, it seems like in certain communities online, you get a lot of like really negative uh, stuff where anyone who disagrees with me is, is the devil. A lot of this thing called an ad hominem attack, which means like, well, I don't agree with that diet. Therefore, this guy is promoting the diet, is, is promoting the diet, is is a total loser and a bad person and you know his mother kicked him when he was a baby. And you're like, wait, what does this have to do with whether the diet's right or not? But <laughs> there's yeah. these incredibly mean-spirited attacks. And where that's coming from is usually one of these three core things that I wrote about in the Bulletproof Diet. And Ted, there's this thing in your, in your brain. To model it, I call it the Labrador brain. Like you imagine a Labrador retriever. Sure. And it's a big, big floppy dog. And if you throw a stick or you make a loud noise, the dog's either going to, oh, look, it's going to either like run after the stick or it's going to, to shy away from the noise. And, and it's basically programmed to either go towards something interesting or run away from, from everything else that might kill it. So this is the avoided tiger part of you, the, the sympathetic nervous system. So that's a survival thing. And it's in all animals. It's like avoid scary stuff and uh, go towards things that might be an opportunity. But the other two things that happen are really interesting. Uh, one of them is also wired into all animals, and that's the don't starve to death behavior. So the Labrador is walking down the street, and it sees a gutter taco, you know, three-day-old Taco Bell thrown out of a window. It's like, oh, look, a gutter taco, yummy, and it eats it, and then it throws up for two hours. <laughs> it doesn't really matter. And then the final thing the Labrador does that's wired into survival of the species is, oh, look, there's a leg. I'll go hump it. So basically – Make sure you reproduce. Make sure you eat everything so you don't starve to death. Therefore, you can reproduce. And make sure nothing eats you before you reproduce. Like those are the three things that we are wired to do without thinking. And all of those take up a substantial amount of our energy and all of those take away from our willpower. So if you're walking around hungry all the time because, oh, let's say you're eating fewer calories than your body and your brain demand – you can still get by, but it's an active willpower and that increases stress, right? And then, you know, let's say that when you increase that stress, then things that maybe wouldn't have been enough to trigger your fight or flight become enough to trigger your fight or flight. So all of a sudden you're walking around, you're feeling angry all the time, you're overtrained, your cortisol is high and you're feeling angry and it looks like the world's full of a bunch of these a-holes who are all saying stuff that's wrong because you know everything that's right and you got to take them down. And you go down this incredibly weird path that's tied to your biochemistry and it's also tied to your psychology, you know, what, what the people you surround yourself with, the messages that you had as a kid. And bottom line is what I learned is that there are people who believe that you should eat a zero-fat, starch-based diet, right? 
I believe those people are wrong. <laughs> However, the vast majority of them are not pricks. They're not even bad scientists. There's a fundamental disagreement. In fact, there's actually probably good science. I've seen some of it. It says, well, wait, maybe for at least a period of time, there might even be benefits to doing something like that. I don't think it's long-term sustainable. So I've put my best science forward. They've put their best science forward, but we're all human beings and we're all working towards the same thing. And there's a few like guys who honestly, like they're well-known for being super angry and for being rude to others who disagree, whatever. Like those are just angry people. But for the most part, even people who have the opposite perspective that I do, they're not like bad people out to deceive and steal and rob and cheat and all that. And so I just find that the sense of skepticism that's out there in some communities more than others, um, it's, it's actually harmful to the community itself. And it doesn't add value to the science. It doesn't add value to the people who are, are working really hard to get in shape or to lose weight or just to feel good again. You can approach a disagreement as like a gentleman or you can approach it as like a thug. And I don't know. I'm going to take the gentleman's path there. Yeah, I hear you. And, and I appreciate that about you, Dave, because you see that same type of behavior in politics, about religion. And every time I see that pop up, I want to get away from that type of conversation and those types of people who want to debate in that way or argue and, and get all fuming at the mouth and not actually probably do much to promote their own message. And I'll tell you something, I'm not knowledgeable enough in nutrition or biochemistry to challenge anything you put forth or, or anybody else who has a, a solid foundation in understanding this stuff. But I kind of feel like you are the Tony Robbins of health and fitness. And I'll tell you what I mean. I was just speaking to a friend of mine who is a sports and performance psychologist, and he's a fan of Tony Robbins. I also have another psychologist friend who hates Tony Robbins. Why <laughs> does she hate him? Because number one, he's a public figure, so we know who he is. Two, he has a level of success and people look up to him. And three, because he is not formally educated and he is not doing things that are validated by research and randomized controlled studies and meta-analyses and all those types of things. But my friend said something interesting, the sports and performance guy. He's like, a lot of the stuff that some of these self-help guys have been doing for years just was validated recently. So while all those people in the past were stuck on the research, they were at the cutting edge at the frontier. And Dave, you may be wrong about some stuff. You, you may be right about most of it. I can't say that's not where my expertise lies. But I'll tell you, I'm always interested in people like you who are pushing the frontier and opening up these discussions. So I appreciate your viewpoint, your perspectives, your information. And I appreciate that you're willing to put yourself out there and, and take all the heat. Thanks, Ted. And part of this is a willingness to change. When I was very, very early on in doing some of this research, I was like, all right, I'm pretty sure you read the Gary Tobbs side of things and having had Gary Tobbs speak at one of my events and having had a chance to, to chat with him a few times. I'm like, you know, what? I'm pretty sure carbs are just unnecessary. <laughs> <laughs> so I went down this three-month path where 
I actually gave myself food allergies when I was on a zero carb diet. I know there's other guys who I, I know and respect who do eat almost no carbs, not quite zero, but but very low, and they just kick ass for years, and it's actually better for them. Uh, I'm not one of those, and and so when I finally zeroed in on a protocol that worked for a lot of people, it's a it's a cyclical ketogenic diet where you go into ketosis, but you're not always in ketosis. That was a big change from, you know, carbs are evil uh, to that. But that's what science is about. It's like you make a hypothesis, you test the hypothesis, and then you adjust it. And when you look for evidence supporting the hypothesis, there's actually seven kinds of evidence. If you go back to like the Greek origins of the scientific method, and we have these crazy people who now talk about evidence-based something or another. And they only accept one of the seven kinds of evidence, which is like double-blind studies, like everything else. And, and then they take the studies that they don't like for whatever reason. And any anyone with five minutes on Google can discredit any study you want by saying, well, the researchers were biased or the sample size wasn't big enough. And some of the criticisms are good, but none of it is black and white. <laughs> You're like, well, okay, some studies are just like completely fraudulent and that happens sometimes. But for the most part, there's a reason that it was published. And you can look at it and you can use a collection of this data to tell you something. And when you go down this evidence-based trap, what you find is that you ignore direct evidence. Like I smacked myself in the head with a hammer and it really hurt. That was evidence. But there's no double-blind study that says that that happens. So if you're an evidence-based person, you say, sorry, you know, we got to hit 52 people in the head with a hammer <laughs> and hit other people like with a foam bat and as a control. And now we can say with evidence. Otherwise, there is no evidence that hammers cause any damage to your head and you should just keep doing that. I'm like, okay. (laughs) And then another thing you do is you ask an expert, well, this guy spent 30 years studying hammers and studying brains and he'll testify that in his clinical experience, hammers hurt your head, but you can't take that because that wasn't a double line study. Therefore, it's probably a lie. In fact, he's probably tied in with the hammer industry and you go down this this crazy line of reasoning and you're like, wait a minute, the biggest evidence you can have is does it work? I like that. I follow. Yeah. Do you get results with it? I, I like that a lot, Dave. And of course, even if there is research and and all these double blind placebo controlled studies, if it doesn't actually work for you and you can measure that in some way, especially either by how you feel or blood chemistry results or something, then it really doesn't matter what the research says, because there are always people who fall outside for whatever reasons, biochemical individuality or genetic differences, whatever. So, so I appreciate that. Dave, let's get on to the topic for today, which is biohacking. And it's some, a term that you've helped popularize. I don't know if you coined it or not. It's hard to say. I think Tim Ferriss and I both started using it around the same time. I could have trademarked it. <laughs> I thought of it, but I didn't trademark it when I decided that I wanted to use that, that word for what I did because I wanted it to be a community word that that was used by everyone who who does this. But I, I did write the first definition of the word and the first infographic and actually the first poll to determine whether there should be a space in it or not. So I can I can claim that I was one of the originators, but I'm not the Al Gore of biohacking. <laughs> yeah, nice reference there. Now, now biohacking is interesting because you have guys like you, you talk a lot about nutrition, a lot about mental fitness and other things, supplements, coffee, of course. 
And then you have guys who are implanting magnets into their fingers and trying to augment their bodies with technology. What is your definition of biohacking? Well, there's a definition that's pretty widely spread, and it's the art and the science of changing the environment around you and inside you so that you have control of your own biology. And this works great for fitness and for bodybuilding. In fact, some of the first biohackers were bodybuilders. They're like, look what happens if I inject this and I move this way and I eat this kind of food. And the, the other big biohackers originally were the anti-aging crowd. Like, look what happens when I eat nothing and I'm stick thin and I, you know, <laughs> I'm basically on a caloric restricted diet that's insane. Uh, but maybe I'll live longer. And then you have military and extreme athletes and extremes of medicine and the space program has taught us an enormous amount about what controls our biology. And I actually have two technologies in my biohacking labs that are directly out of uh, like jet, jet fighter planes and the space program that you can actually three technologies come to think four. <laughs> now that I'm thinking about it, that came from those extremes. So what I look at for biohacking is you know, how do you just control your biology? And it's pretty extreme to change the environment inside your body by implanting a magnet or something. And at that point, we're getting into something called grinders. And these are people who sort of self-implant their own devices. And it's a, a subset of transhumanism. And transhumans are, are a group of people who are really into the idea that you can upgrade the human body, usually more with like, I replace my arm with a robot arm, and ultimately upload your brain to the internet and then live forever because you're now like a virtual copy of yourself. There's also a, a side of biohacking that's a bit more meditative. Like the original biohackers were shamans and Buddhists who, well, we don't really have any computers to measure our brains or to do much. So we're going to develop these weird Ayurvedic diets uh, or uh, other similar types of diets. And we're going to sit in a cave for an entire lifetime and record what we saw and then do it for a few generations. And Hey, that's science. It, it's actually very old science. Uh, so you, you put all that stuff together, you throw it in a blender and you're like, all right, what do I want to do with my biology today? Do I want more energy? Do I want to look different? Do I want to feel different? Do I want to be smarter? Do I want to look better? Or frankly, do I want to grow a third gonad? Like, I don't really care. Like, it's your body. <laughs> you can do whatever you want. Uh, there's probably a good argument for having a third gonad for some people. <laughs> but whatever it is, like, you should own it. And this means that if you believe you have control of your biology, or better yet, that the environment around you influences your biology without your conscious awareness, but you can manipulate your biology now, that means every food craving you have is your fault. Uh, it means when you're tired, it's your fault and that you could have either avoided it or you could have known what to do uh, to address it. So having control comes with a great amount of responsibility, but thinking you have no control absolutely sucks. And when I weighed 300 pounds and I had brain fog all the time and I was not doing well, even though I was succeeding as an entrepreneur, I was really struggling as a human being, that sucked. And I just don't want to do that anymore. In fact, I'll never do that again. Yeah. And you've been on here before. You've shared your story. And it's a fascinating one because you've spent so much time, so much money exploring and experimenting. But how did you get from, say, trying diets? I know you said you went running, dealing with some of the arthritic issues and, and some of the mood swings. How did you get from, oh, hey, I'm going to eat better. Hey, I'm going to exercise, maybe take some vitamins to the idea of biohacking. I just realized that I didn't want to be healthy, that 
everyone kind of thinks they're healthy. I always thought I was relatively healthy. I didn't know you were supposed to be able to walk without it hurting till I was like 22. <laughs> I got orthotics. I'm like, wow, I've had like three knee surgeries and now I can walk and it doesn't hurt. That's so like amazing. Now I know why people go for a walk on the beach. Before that, I'm like, you'd have to be stupid to go for a walk on the beach because it hurts. I'd still exercise, but it just always hurt when I exercised. So I, I look at that whole dynamic there. And, and for me, I didn't want to just be okay. I wanted to just fully express whatever my biology was capable of. And for me, a lot of it is I worked as an entrepreneur, I guess I still do. And to discover things and innovate and just get a core understanding of things requires full power into your brain. It means you have to have enough energy all the time. And the worst thing, the worst feeling for me is really wanting to understand a problem, really wanting to focus on something and then like calling on the energy to do that and it not being there. And it used to be, I'd think, oh, well, I'm a failure because I'm not trying hard enough. And now I'm like, wait a minute, if the energy is not there, why is it not there? And what did I do to cause that? And it turns out I've eliminated all of the sources of kryptonite in my life, the things that make me weak. And I've done many things that make me strong. And there's even more I can do that make me stronger. And now it's effortless. Like I always have the energy to bring it. And I, I've run circles around some of the, the adults who work for me who are 20 years or almost 20 years younger than I am. I, I've got enough energy where like they need to go to sleep. And I'm like, no, I could still go. And <laughs> maybe I should go to sleep too. But I didn't have that when I was 20 or 25. And I have it now. And that's why I do it because it feels awesome. Yeah. And you're bringing up some just powerful points. And I love your definition of biohacking. It's, it's controlling your biology because as we're starting to learn with neuroscience, with epigenetics, with some of the fitness information and nutrition information, we are controlling our biology, either consciously or unconsciously, where when we stay up late at night or expose our eyes to, to bright lights, or if we're around negative people, like, like we talked about earlier, or eating some foods that we happen to be allergic to or have some sort of intolerance to or over-exercising. So I love that approach. And I'm, I'll tell you, Dave, I'm fascinated by it because I come from this fitness background, but I'm like, I want to transcend the, not only those people, Dave, the negative types all fighting each other, but also in terms of just what is possible and, and with experimentation. And I love this idea. And that's, that's why it's so cool to have you back on the show. Well, let's get into some, some biohacks that you recommend. The way I look at it is there's, I guess, mental, physical, physiological with ph pharmacology and supplementation diets and technological. What would you say, and feel free to add or subtract or, or give your opinion on that, but what would you say are the mental biohacks aside from what we talked about earlier with just cutting out negative people? Well, one of the most effective mental biohacks you can do is actually cleaning up your diet. This is because if you want to do any kind of meditation, any kind of personal growth work, it requires huge amounts of willpower and effort. Like this is messing with your core programming, the stuff that got laid in before your logic circuits were there. So it's supposed to be hard to do that. And if you're thinking, oh, look, I'll fast for four days and you know, or I'll eat graham crackers or whatever other kryptonite food is out there. 
even if you think it's healthy. In fact, I'll just have kale smoothies and nothing else. Same thing's going to happen. There's not enough energy in that. And there's some anti-nutrients in many foods that slow you down. So all of a sudden, you're now calling on your brain to be very high performance while you do this digging deep thing. And your brain doesn't have enough electrons in it. You couldn't pull calories out of that kale fast enough. You couldn't make the neurotransmitters you needed. And I find that just getting enough energy into the brain is the very first thing. And uh, I'm not going to go into pitch mode here, but uh, that's why Bulletproof Coffee caught on so much is because it has brain octane oil and butter in it. And those things help you to have energy in a way that sugar and carbs don't. In fact, you can have that with carbs and be burning glucose and ketones at exactly the same time, which is especially for smart people whose brains are trying to to call on more energy than they can normally deliver. They like finally relax a little bit because they got enough energy in there. And once the energy is in there, then you apply the mental hacks. So I tell you, if you're going to have MSG or some of the other things like uh, NutraSweet, it's real common aspartame in the fitness industry. Oh, I didn't want any carbs, so I added some of this fake sweetener to my protein powder. Sorry, that's going to cause in a lot of people a, a fall in insulin, uh, or sorry, a spike in blood sugar than a, a crash. So you're going to be trying to focus and you're going to have excessive firing of neurons and then cravings for sugar right in the middle of you doing your meditation. So you got to just get rid of that stuff. It's like, oh, look, I have a clean burning system. Shocking. And by the way, your athletic performance will improve too. And then you sit down and you do the mental hacks. First one, deep breathing exercises. Uh, the second one would be something called heart rate variability training. And if you're a hardcore exerciser, you probably know heart rate monitors, how many beats a minute, what's my aerobic threshold and all that kind of stuff. What I'm talking about here is measuring the space between each heartbeat and looking at how those spaces change. Because if you're overtrained or you're stressed about your mother-in-law or you have a subclinical infection, whatever it is, if you have biological or emotional or psychological stressors, and you have the physical stressors of I lift heavy every single day and I don't eat enough and I don't sleep enough and I don't recover enough, it's going to show in your heart rate variability. In fact, it's a great signal for when you're overtrained. It's also a great signal for when you're emotionally stressed. So you could just meditate and do deep breaths or you could clip a sensor on your ear or wear a chest strap monitor hooked up to an app and then it'll tell you when you're meditating and successfully turning off your fight or flight response. So if you're one of those angry people who goes online and yells at people you don't know for hours uh, as your way to add value to the universe, if you do heart rate variability training before you do that, you'll realize that when you're engaging in that behavior, you're fully in fight or flight mode all the time. Your sympathetic nervous system is dominant and your parasympathetic nervous system, the relax and recover and renew part of you is disengaged. You can use a computer, you can use your iPhone to tell you that that's happening even though you don't know it right now unless you're trained in these kind of techniques. And when you figure that out, then you make a decision. Do I want to be that Labrador running away from a noise even if it wasn't a threat? Or do I want to be the human who says, shut up Labrador, sit. And that's what I learned to do with my brain. And when you do that, that's part of personal growth. And in order to do that, it's a lot easier when you're not eating stuff that throws you into fight or flight mode. Dave, I, from there, there's a bunch like, more you can do. Yeah, I love it. And it's so obvious about the fight or flight thing and, and people raging on the internet. Let me ask you about HRV because I've been using 
HRV for a while, but it, I think it's different than how you use it. I use BioForce HRV by Joel Jameson, re- really cool strength coach in uh, the fitness industry, very cutting edge when it comes to neuroscience and, and using technology to monitor this stuff and to help people not be raging all the time from overexercise, which I used to do, by the way. <laughs> what my HRV showed me was my physiological readiness when I was what you would call overreaching when I started to get into the red zone. But I've heard you talk about it before. And the way you talked about it, it seemed like you're able to change your HRV immediately using the biofeedback and some breathing or meditation techniques. Is that correct? Totally. So, so you can look at your natural HRV and determine whether you're overtrained. I just checked out the BioForce stuff as we're chatting now. And this is one, uh, another company is called RestWise uh, that I've talked about on, on Bulletproof Radio, uh, I believe in their very early days. And this is really cool stuff. Uh, like the idea is, are you overtraining and how do you optimize your training? Well, that's a huge value. I, I even have my own app called Stress Detective that works with a heart rate monitor that shows you how much stress you have. But here's the thing. Stress is stress. And whether it's emotional stress, psychological stress, nutritional stress, or exercise stress, it's still stress. And your body will respond to stress in the way it's programmed. For instance, it's very likely that every time you get an alert on your phone that the fight or flight part of your brain, your sympathetic nervous system is triggered. It's almost certain that if you drive, every time someone cuts in front of you, your fight or flight response is triggered. And I can attest to that, Dave. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. I live in it's, Miami Beach, man. It's, uh, it's not good <laughs> here. I'll just leave it at that. So now one great use of HRV is, is this overtraining and optimal training zone, which is what you're doing with it. But with the stuff that I use, I can drive and I could tell you that even after I was pretty darn well trained to be in the, this parasympathetic mode, to not allow my body to go into fight or flight mode without my, my knowledge and permission, uh, unless it was, it was necessary. You know, if a, someone jumps out with a baseball bat, a healthy response is to go into fight or flight and kick the guy's ass and that's fine. And that you're not going to be able to turn that off. You don't want to turn that off. But if your body goes into fight or flight mode and burns energy and secretes neurohormones in response to email messages, in response to people changing lanes in front of you, like you have a problem. And that's okay. Almost everyone has that problem. And you can either live with it and assume that's how the world is. In fact, you probably get it. <laughs> if you're one of those people who goes online and rants, it's about politics or uh, low carb or high carb or vegan or paleo or whatever diet you don't like today and you're just going to go rant about that, dude, you're entirely in fight or flight mode. You are not driving your body. Your meat operating system is driving your body and you're acting like a chump and you're probably somewhat ashamed of it later. <laughs> At least that's how it works in, uh, in most of the people that I've worked with where you're like, wow, why did I act that way? Well, it actually was wasn't you acting that way. It was your automatic species survival system operating that way because you didn't have enough energy to sit on top of it or you weren't well enough trained to sit on top of it. So the way I use HRV is uh, the hardest thing I did was I sat in in traffic in in Silicon Valley with this thing clipped to my ear sitting on the dash so I wasn't using a handheld device. And the light turns red when you're in fight or flight mode and it turns green when you're in parasympathetic mode. 
So you're, I'm driving. I'm like, all right, I'm taking my deep breaths. And it feels good to be in parasympathetic. Like it's this feeling of like kind of connectedness and like your your chest feels open and like your energy is kind of pulsing and like it's a good feeling. And all of a sudden, you know, some car cuts you off. And immediately, like within half a second, the light turns red on the HRV because instead of having uneven spacing between my heartbeats, which is what an unstressed animal has, I suddenly evened out my spacing. I got ready to kill the guy without knowing it. My body did that without my knowledge or permission. It took me about two weeks to be able to drive and to turn that off. And you know what I found when I turned off my body's response that way? I stopped caring if some jerk cut me off. It doesn't matter. In fact, maybe he's not a jerk. Maybe he's got like his pregnant wife in the back of the car and she's about to give, like, give birth right there. I, I don't know why this guy cut me off. I could say it's because he's a jerk or I could say it's because, well, he's you know, going to go save the world. I don't actually care. Like I left enough space in front of me. It was my own fault. Yeah. So. <laughs> yeah. Or they're, they're really hung over and late to work and had like two Cuban coffees. If, if you're talking about where in my neck of the woods, but yeah. absolutely it doesn't matter in it. Just, you have to look at it as, okay, do I really need to fight this battle? What am I going to get for, getting over the top and letting this stress response own me, like you just said. Yeah, definitely. Cool, man. So you play this app and then it has sure. you breathe in a certain way. And if it's red, then you're getting into that yeah. sympathetic I'll, I'll state. You, and I'll tell sure. you what it's called. I'll tell you how to do it. Uh, I'm an advisor to this company. I'm trained in their stuff. Uh, I don't have a financial stake in them. I do carry this device on the Bulletproof site. You can also buy it anywhere else. So I don't, it, it doesn't change my world if a listener buys a device from me or not. It, it's just, it's more, it changes my world that they buy a device, <laughs> not that they buy it for me. Because uh, I fundamentally believe that people who have control of their fight or flight response are nicer to everyone around them. Uh, in fact, they're happier that they're able to be nicer to everyone around them. So this is called the inner balance sensor and it's on bulletproof.com, inner balance sensor. It hooks into your iPhone, and if you don't have an iPhone, you have an Android, you have to buy something called the M-Wave, that's E-M-W-A-V-E, which has a clunkier interface, but uh, if you have any of the Apple devices, I recommend that one, just because the interface is better. And what it does is, and in fact, I'll tell you, for every one of my coaching clients, I'm like, look, you just need to buy this thing, and you need to use it for about 10 minutes a day for about six weeks. And the average person who does that can put it in the hardest mode where you have to be at the highest levels of heart rate coherence and they can do it. But when you first start out, you plug this thing in and this light in the middle of the screen turns red and it's like, oh wow, my body's in a low level fight or flight mode. And then it guides you, breathe in for five seconds, breathe out for five seconds. Could you breathe in and out for five seconds without the app? Hell yeah. In fact, you should try it. However, there's something else you do when you're breathing out. So you breathe in and you visualize something like, like you, you force a sensation in your chest. And this is where it gets really weird. There's not a word for me to say, it feels like this in my chest that's going to tell you the same felt state. Uh, there's a word for that. It's called ineffable, which means like I can feel it, but I don't have words for it. So I could say like the Buddhist, imagine the thousand petaled lotus unfolding one petal at a time. What, what? Like there's so many ways. I don't know. 
Feel your heart chakra opening up to the universe and the possibilities. Yeah. Yeah. Like imagine (laughs) the color blue emanating from your nipple. And like, okay, like there's a bazillion spiritual gurus have tried for thousands of years to explain how to do this. And what do they end up doing? They all sit in a monastery breathing together. And then the the head dude who can sensitive to this is like you, you finally got it. Good job. Well, I don't want to do that. I'm too busy. Like hurry, meditate faster is something I've said (laughs) and I actually believe. Yeah. Uh, if if I could meditate in five seconds a day and get everything, I absolutely would do that and I'd be grateful for it. So this is a way of when you breathe in and you do that thing, which could be called a heart opening meditation, but you do it, you feel it and the light turns green. You're like, ah, that was the feeling. I did it right. I turned the light green. Hooray. And what you learn from this training is that first your body's going into this, this fight or flight thing all day, every day, without your knowledge or permission. And that should piss you off because it's wasting your energy, it's wasting your focus, and it's making you act like a jerk. So the awareness is step one. And step two is, okay, it's red. How do I make it green again? And it eventually you end up playing this like whack-a-mole game or every time it pops up, it's it's a little stressful head. You do this technique and you can do the technique in literally two seconds with your eyes open once you're good at it. And you don't even need the sensor anymore. The sensor is just to show you the feeling so you can induce the feeling. In fact, if you've ever felt profoundly grateful for something, like just like I am so amazed that this just happened, I'm blown away, that feeling is pretty much like this. But you can cause a feeling to happen consciously and with intent. You just have to know what feeling to cause and that feeling is the state of rest and recovery. So what I do that's different than a lot of people is before I go on stage, before I started this interview, uh, before I put my kids down for bed, I consciously take a couple seconds and I put myself into a higher state of parasympathetic dominance. Mm. That means I don't walk around getting ready to kill things unless they really, really need killing and I decide that's a good idea. Yeah, makes sense. And, uh, so taking control of this response and, and realizing that it's something that happens to you when your phone notifications go off, which I've turned off, I keep my phone off almost Amen. all the time. You yeah. have to turn off notifications. <laughs> oh, and the new, I have a new Mac. And when I first got it, it was just like <laughs> pinging me all the time. I'm like, oh my God, how can, I mean, I love Apple, but like, who thought of this idea? Like, do I really need to be pinged more than I'm already pinged? So I did turn off all the notifications. If you're a new Mac user or on your way to, you know what I'm talking about. But if you get one of those new Macs, oh, you definitely have to make sure, just be ready for that and and turn off all the noti- the, the notifications that keep hitting you. Yeah, I, I love now, this, no, Dave. Hold, hold on, Ted. You're a sure. fitness professional here, and you're talking with people who aren't like enlightened gurus, at least for for the most part, and have various levels of of like personal growth programs in addition to like physical fitness programs. But it doesn't matter if you care about meditation or it doesn't matter if you just want to get swole. It, it, it seriously doesn't matter. If you have those alerts going off all the time, they will distract you from your mission. And if your mission is to get big or your, me- your mission is to get happy or your mission is to get pregnant, it doesn't matter. <laughs> this is a distraction that adds no value to your life. And you feel like you're going to die if you don't get told right away you have a message. And that is a lie from your nervous system. Yeah, and man, I'll have to admit that I'm still already very dialed into my uh, Facebook and my email. Although I'll tell you, Dave, I've unfollowed, not necessarily unfriended, because I just you know avoid drama or whatever. But everyone who talks about anything negative, when 
or if they have a, a high negative to positive ratio of things that they post, unfollowed. I only want to be around people who are taking action and actually doing things to make the world a better place and make people function at a higher level and bring, just waking them up from their bad trip, which is a, a term I heard from Jason Silva recently. Yeah. And I love that idea because it, it is kind of like a bad trip people are on. They're tripping out on their fight or flight on, on adrenaline and, and noradrenaline and you know cortisol. So yeah, I, I definitely appreciate your perspective on that. And I'm curious... Uh, and by the way, Dave, this is not like, come listen to the Legendary Life Podcast to get swole, bro. Uh, that's not what I'm about at <laughs> no, all. I, I know, I know body, some, but... some of your listeners, they're like, dude, I really want to get big or I want to kick the most ass. And I'm just saying it doesn't matter what your mission is. And I, I hope you didn't think I was positioning all of your listeners that way. But like, <laughs> like there's guys who literally, they're like, I'm a professional bodybuilder and they're listening yeah. to your show. Right. And even they care about relationships and, and all that sort of stuff. But the amount of effort that goes into getting that extra inch on your bicep is different than what I'm going to do. Right. It's all good stuff. And it's your ability and your responsibility to control your biology. So whatever the end goal is, those notifications are just making you weak. And that's what I'm saying. Oh, yeah. I was just, you know, when you said that, I was like, man, I hope, Dave, I hope you don't think I'm that guy. I, I do I all body weight exercises because it gets <laughs> me into flow and it's not, actually not the best for getting as huge as possible, which I'm an athlete or former competitive martial artist. I would feel very uncomfortable if I started to look like a bodybuilder. It would actually affect my self-esteem to be like that because I think it's like an overcompensation. But anyway, let, let's get on to some physical stuff. Now, I know you, you've been on here before. You're like, hey guys, I'm, I'm no bodybuilder, but I, I exercise. I you know keep my heart rate variability in check and I do all these other things and take supplements. What are your exercise routines looking like now? What's going on with uh, the physical side of your biohacking? I I do stuff that, that isn't normal. Okay. <laughs> and yeah. that's because I have a full biohacking lab at my house where I get uh, various guests on Bulletproof Radio. They come up to Vancouver Island and they hang out with me for a day and we do crazy stuff. I do cryotherapy with liquid nitrogen every day. And oh, I love that's pretty that. incredible. Yeah. I love that stuff. Uh, but it's it's cool because it's in my backyard. Like literally it's a hundred yard commute. That's pretty awesome, Dave. Got like I'm say. talking to you from, from the studio that's above that. Like I'm on the second floor and that's on the first floor. I have the Bulletproof Vibe, which is a whole body vibration platform that I use that uses, I mentioned those technologies from space. This is the frequency that NASA identified for helping astronauts recover more quickly from extended time in space. It's 30 cycles, 30 hertz. Uh, so uh, what it's doing is it's vibrating only vertically, not horizontally and not rocking side to side. And that causes lymphatic circulation. So I can do standing exercises like a one-legged forward fold and things like that that give you like a really interesting stretch or even some of the yoga poses you do on there. But you're getting a neurological, neurohormonal response that's different than if you did it without 30 uh, 30 impressions a second into your nervous system. Uh, when you look at what I'm doing for strength, I've got a biodensity machine that causes bone flexion. That's You only do that for, uh, let's see, 20 seconds of exercises once a week that causes profound changes in bone density. Hold like on. literally. 
bone flex so bending bone to yeah. get it to react to to lay more calcium and make it more dense and strong yeah in wow. fact this this machine has if you look at hba1c which is a marker of of type 2 diabetes this machine in 20 seconds a week is shown in a study to be four times more effective than exercise and drugs for type 2 diabetes like normal exercise so what happens is during high impact, you create stress on the bones and it creates what's called a, a piezoelectric effect. And what that means is that when the bone gets that shock, that it causes a small amount of electrical current to form. And that electrical current is what triggers all of these hormonal changes to make you have more dense bones. Well, when you bend a bone for five seconds straight, then you get huge amounts of these bone density building hormones and you make better use of your blood sugar and like you basically get stronger joints, stronger bones. But I'm talking even with all the computer setup, this is a computer driven machine, you're still talking less than 10 minutes total time, but the actual exercise time is five seconds in four positions. Wow. <laughs> and like you can't do this without technology. It just doesn't work. So yeah, I do that. And uh, part of the reason I do this is uh, my mission around exercise and fitness is is that, look, we all have places we want to go. We all have things we want to do. And I believe that many people like me for years, I did an hour and a half a day, half cardio, half heavy weights, six days a week when I weighed 300 pounds trying to lose this weight. I just think there's a lot of people who are not getting all the benefits they could get per minute of exercise. And I, I want to know how personally to maximize the crap out of that and to use that as a guiding light, not to say do what I do, but to say what I'm doing is possible. And you can move what you are doing in the direction of this using this new knowledge and that's going to free up an hour a week. It's going to free up six hours a week um, or it's going to let you feel better or it's going to address that old injury. So I just feel like science and big data is giving us more knowledge now than we've ever had and we can apply it to exercise just to free people from the gym. What, you're like, wait, I have more, I look better, my body composition is better, my strength is better, my sleep is better and I spent less time. Like that's a win, like that's biohacking right there and, and that's what I'm working to do on myself because I started out with arthritis in my knees when I was 14. I was obese. I'm covered in stretch marks. <laughs> like not exactly. I have flat feet, still working on those. And so I didn't start out with a really strong biological template. And I, I mean, heck, I have only one kidney. And I was born that way. So like I'm, I feel like I'm kicking some pretty good ass. But these technologies help me. I also have the ARX machine, which is remarkably effective. And this is a machine where – Instead of fighting gravity, which causes your joints to protect yourself, the ARX machine, you're fighting a computerized winch. You're fighting a computer that can always win. It can pick up a truck. So you can squat 1,650 foot-pounds, which is uh, my record right now, and you can bench press at maximum effort for every part of the strength curve. Like We thought Nautilus was cool when they had their shaped cams so that you'd put a little bit more energy at your stronger parts. I'm fighting at maximum energy at every single uh, position along the strength curve. And the difference is that you're completely blown out after like six repetitions and you're sore for days. But the difference in muscle composition and the difference also in bone density from that kind of exercise is just different than if I was throwing around heavy dumbbells or if I was pushing a bar. So 
there's nothing wrong with dumbbells and bars. It's just that at the top of every exercise, the bottom of every exercise, you stop loading the muscle and you're always either overloaded or underloaded at any portion of the strength curve. When I do a strength exercise, I am maximally loaded with a computer torturing me if I'm not pushing as hard as I did last time, telling me on the screen, look, you did better last time. Can't you push that line a little higher? That's how, that's how I'm doing it. And that's pretty different <laughs> yeah. uh, when I actually, but when I do cardio, either I'm breathing pure oxygen or I'm breathing air with no oxygen. Wait, wait a minute. So you're <laughs> exercising, doing some type of exercise, and then what, what do you mean with the oxygen? Thing? Oh, I, I do. I have a, an oxygen concentrator, and I will breathe either mostly pure oxygen for a minute or two, and then I'll breathe air with almost no oxygen for a minute or two. I'm doing intermittent, uh, essentially high-intensity interval training, either with or without oxygen, which is stressing my hemoglobin <laughs> so that I can be better at oxygen management the rest of the time. Uh, so I also spend time in a hyperbaric chamber where I have excessive atmospheric pressure and 10 liters a minute of oxygen. So like my body's a laboratory and none of this stuff will you find in a gym. None of this stuff will you find in a doctor's office, but all of it you should be finding in those kinds of areas. And so by talking about this on your show, by telling people that this stuff is possible and by making probably a few people go, look, that asshole has it at his house. Like, like how is that okay and why do I not have it? Well, it's not okay. <laughs> like <laughs> this should be at your gym. Like go and yell about it, right? If you want to <laughs> you want to do something, insist on technologies that give you the most benefit in the least amount of time. I'll tell you what they are, right? I'll do my best to share all of this stuff and that's what I'm doing. So I work with these companies and I – I demonstrate what the stuff does and I test it and sometimes it doesn't do much. Sometimes it's more trouble than it's worth. But between what I've done with neurofeedback, hooking electrodes up to my head and, and changing my IQ and changing the very core wiring of, of how my, my body works, how my brain works, how I think, how I love, uh, things I was unaware of in my own consciousness that now with the lie detector, you can't lie to yourself anymore about anything because the damn computer tells you when you're lying to yourself. So then you have to either deal with it or decide not to deal with it. That kind of stuff uh, is what I've done for more than a decade. And that's why people are interested in it because, well, some of it's probably a little bit, uh, a little bit odd. In fact, a lot of it is, but there's great lessons for all of us. And it's the lesson isn't do what Dave does. The lesson is that what Dave did is possible. And I'm pretty pissed off that I didn't know it was possible. And maybe that one thing applied to me and maybe it's totally uninteresting, but there's a lot in there and most of it's unexplored. I love that, man. I'm, I'm so excited, especially hearing what you're doing exercise wise is kind of the, I don't want to say the polar opposite of what I've been doing because I'm really into body weight exercise and minimalist equipment. And I really view the, this gymnastics inspired training that I'm doing as highly as, as another awesome biohack. If you don't happen to have any exercise equipment because it's using principles of biomechanics and physics, moment arms and leverage and levers to increase the resistance on your muscles and your joints and your bones instead of external resistance, like picking up weights and, and barbells or even kettlebells or whatever. But I love hearing what you're doing because I feel like, man, I need to look into some of that because uh, it's just, it's the frontier of technology. And that's, man, I, I'm getting, uh, I'm just really excited listening to you talk about this because I know eventually it's going to be some form of combination of things. Of course, you don't need to do 
you don't need to use any tool, but how to best get the types of results that you want based on your goals and your needs. I'm really, really floored with this conversation. I'll tell you, we're, we're coming up on uh, the hour and I know we, we've got 10 minutes left. I know you're a busy man. I think talking about physiology a little bit, because I'll tell you, Dave, before I hopped on this to do this interview, I took a little antiracive TAM, I took alpha GPC, <laughs> and a little acetyl nice. L-carnitine. That's a beautiful stack. Uh, antiracetam is my favorite uh, cognitive enhancer from the, the pharmaceutical side of things. I, I love that stuff. I've taken it every day for years, and I do a bunch of mitochondrial enhancing things, and one of them is acetyl L-carnitine. That stuff has been known for like 25 years to enhance your ability to make energy in the cells. So it's absolutely one of those things that works as a, a nootropic. So you're going to have a little bit more clarity, a little more energy. When you take alpha GPC, like, like this is the oldest possible way of, of increasing acetylcholine. So about two-thirds of people, they actually perform better when they have more of this neurotransmitter, which is stimulating and gives you a bit more energy. The other probably one-third of people get headaches because they already have enough acetylcholine. So taking alpha GPC is one way. There's about 50 companies making uh, choline boosting stacks. And I make one, it's called Choline Force. And I'll, I'm here to say that they're all about the same. <laughs> okay, appreciate <laughs> there's two, that. There's two technologies. One is block reabsorption of acetylcholine. And there's Hooperzine A and there's a bunch of other uh, very similar substances. And then add more choline which is alpha-GPC or choline bitartrate. And the difference between these things on the market is mostly price. I mean, I would love to say I have a magic secret sauce in choline force. It does the same thing as all the ones that Whole Foods do. You can just pick up any of the things that do that. But if you get headaches, you get light sensitivity, you get joint pain, thigh cramps, or jaw tension, then you don't need that. And you shouldn't take it. And that's something that most of those companies won't tell you about. So there's companies who spend, you know, they charge you $60 and give you very low dose. And there's other companies who charge you, you know, 25, 30 bucks and give you twice the dose. And I, the only reason I started carrying uh, the stuff that I make is that I just got tired of people overcharging for <laughs> what is not a differentiated product. Interesting. I'll definitely try yours out. I didn't realize that you had a nootropic. So I will definitely get that because I've been, I've tried Chimera coffee, which is interesting, but it's, you know, the, the doses of the things in it aren't the doses of the, the nootropics on it. It's, it's really hard to standardize if it, you, that's the nootropic in, infused coffee, which and I'm it, sure you know about. There's a thing with coffee and, and I, I've done so much research. I just wrote another paper on this stuff. The main toxin that comes from coffee, even you know the, the normal quality coffee, we have no standards for it in the US, that toxin accumulates, we just figured this out, in six different parts of the brain, and humans suck at eliminating that toxin. So I've Is found this that, one of the, the mycotoxins, the mold yeah, toxins? This is OTA, which is the most, it's the most predominant harmful mycotoxin in coffee, but it's amplified by some of the other lesser known ones in coffee. So this is the stuff that I eliminate and that I test for with, with unusual testing in the Bulletproof coffee beans. I find that avoiding that stuff, if you want to get out of sympathetic mode, like we talked about before, chronic low dose exposure to toxins that cause oxidative DNA damage is actually a good idea for remaining calm and focused and centered and not having cravings and not having jitteriness and all. And if you mix a lot of the stuff in with coffee that, that's going to function uh, as a smart drug, it's going to taste bad. <laughs> so if you go into the Bulletproof Coffee Shop in Santa Monica, a little far cry from Miami Beach, 
but we, we do some herbal things in coffee, but even those, you taste them. So I, I tend to say take your nootropics in, in, a, uh, in a capsule or my second favorite nootropic after aniracetam is called unfair advantage, which is a mitochondrial booster. It like just makes your mitochondria more efficient for, about, uh, for me about six hours. And that's pretty cool. You can really feel a difference. And that's probably become like a breakout product for Bulletproof just because people keep trying it going, oh, wait, I had more energy for a long time, but it wasn't like an ampy energy. It was just more of more of the electrons my body can make. So there's all these approaches to raising your brain function. But the, all of those things pale in comparison to food. Like you got to get enough energy in there. And if you're eating a low calorie diet or you're exercising a lot and trying to eat fewer calories than you burn – you should expect your brain to be short on energy in that environment. <laughs> and you're not going to like how you feel. It's going to take a lot of willpower. Your willpower is a finite resource. So you, you got to get the energy in first, and then you can play around with nootropics. Yeah, I love how you keep coming back to diet because so many people look to supplements to circumvent having to eat well. <laughs> and it doesn't yeah. work. Uh, it like doesn't pizza work. And Nootropics is just not a good pizza, idea. <laughs> pizza, beer, and nootropics. Yeah. It's a great, great cognitive performance stack there. Well, Dave, thank you so much for being on the show today. I would like to finish up with one question. I'm really interested in what you see the future of biohacking. And I know we talked about the implants and that type of thing, but the future of biohacking, what technologies excite you? You know, we are at a inflection point for what we can do with our brain. We have now the ability to gather more data about what's going on in your head than we ever have before. We have these consumer grade devices like, like Muse and Melon that are two, 300 bucks, but I just got a, a 24 channel clinical EEG. If you went back 10, 15 years, it's a, a quarter million dollars for this thing. And it doesn't even require gel. It's just a hat you put on. It's granted, it looks like an alien octopus stuck to your head, but it's just a hat. Nice. <laughs> and it gets a clinical grade signal from my head. And this is one of those things that, that has enormous implications for society because when you can put something on someone's head one minute later, get a clinical grade signal, you can actually train them. And here's the scary thing if you train your brain wrong, you can take a healthy person and give them PTSD in two hours. Like literally, they were not traumatized, but now wow. they have this. You can also take someone who has PTSD and you can see exactly where it's happening in the brain and you can take action to train the brain against it. So we have more control of the wiring in our heads than we ever have in all of history, which is probably the most exciting thing. This was locked away in neuroscience laboratories and it's getting out and it's becoming much more accessible. So that's making me pretty happy. Awesome. Well, I'm definitely excited about that. That's something I want to learn more about. And and again, that's why I love talking to people like you who are on the edges, experimenting and on the frontiers, trying different technologies and bringing them to other people and having the balls to go first, Dave, I tell you, because <laughs> uh, I would not want to give myself PTSD simply because I didn't know what I was doing with some type of technology. So I, I really appreciate that. Well, thank you so much for being on the show today. Appreciate your time and, and your wisdom and your knowledge as always. People can find you at bulletproofexec.com. You should definitely check out Dave's Bulletproof radio show. It's one of my favorite shows. Dave, I have a podcast. I'm super critical about who I listen to and what messages I let in in my 
cognitive space, if you will. And I keep finding myself returning to your show. So thank you for having that available to us for free, by the way, guys. So you can go and start benefiting from this knowledge from Dave and also from his guests. Is there anywhere else where you'd like the Legendary Life listeners to connect with you? Wow. Thanks, Ted. You know, I just published a Bulletproof the Cookbook a couple of weeks ago. And this has taken a whole year. It's 125 new recipes. And they're about kind of creating a food high with masses of energy that isn't going to make you store fat. So I would love it if people felt like getting a cookbook around the holiday season. This is not like any other cookbook you've probably had, just a very different perspective on food, but it all tastes amazing. It's called Bulletproof the Cookbook, and it's on Amazon. So just check that out. I'd love to share that. Great. I will have all those links in the resources on the show notes page for this episode. Make sure you check those out and make sure you start to experiment with some things and and go back. And I know I'm going to have to go back and listen to this episode again to hear you talk about everything, but especially the fitness equipment that you're using. So Dave, thank you so much for being on the show today and really appreciate it and looking forward to connecting with you again soon. Ted, thanks for having me on the show. And I'm a fan of what you you're doing and keep that crap out of your filters so yeah don't don't spend your time watching the news and listening to the haters Uh, life's too short for that so I, i love what you're doing thank you man 